Hey, this is Kate. And this is Liz. And this is stuff I didn't learn in law school. So basically, this is a new podcast and we plan to cover everything you didn't cover in law school, which let's face it was was most of the practice of law. Law school teaches you pretty much nothing. Um I don't I I I tend to agree about that to a certain extent I don't think it gives you the tools that you need to actually come out and practice in the real world I think you leave with a really good understanding of constitutional law Um, yeah that doesn't play as much of a role in my life as I thought it would (laughs) no I mean yeah you you learn a lot I have a lot of knowledge but it's not a lot of knowledge I apply in my day-to-day life like you know, if, if there was like law trivia, we'd probably be really good, but that's not useful in, you know, what do you do in these day-to-day situations? And I don't think that a law school environment, and, and that was where the idea of this podcast came from, frankly, really prepared me for what we see on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, I think that coming, coming out of court, you know, every time I have a conversation with a lawyer, it's like, I just saw this happen and nobody warned me about this. Nobody warned me this was going to happen. And I think that every lawyer has those stories and we want to tell them to you. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So I guess, let, should we introduce ourselves? Sure. Okay. Well, we already said our names, um, but I guess, Kate, tell, tell everyone who you are. So my name is Kate DeNoble and I am a solo practitioner in Rockville, Maryland. And I have been an attorney since 2016. Um, I do primarily family, criminal, and landlord tech. And my name is Liz Herndon and I, um, I've been practicing since 2015 and I do, um, I do family and I do criminal defense. So, um, yeah, I have a small practice. Um, I have two partners, but they don't handle the work that I handle. Um, my partners do workers comp and personal injury. Um, so like people who are hurt in car accidents and things like that. Um, and I do the family and criminal stuff. Um, I also have another podcast air quote law pod. Um, and that was fun. So now, um, I needed to do another one. (laughs) You couldn't stop yourself? No, I couldn't. I have another one um, in the works too. Um, It's not a law podcast though. That one's my friend and I are starting in a couple weeks. It's about the Muppet show. So that's exclusively Muppet content though. Um, So one of the things that we had kind of brought up about discussing today was juries. And what had kind of brought that around was Um, the sentencing phase of the Parkland school shooting jury selection is taking place and it made the news because one of the jurors said she had a conflict and asked to be excused. And before we get into what that conflict is, um, I guess we should discuss what they're picking a jury for because it's not the actual case. It is just on the death penalty, correct? I believe so. Yes. So, um, in, in jury trials, you can split parts. So you can do guilt, you can do liability. If it's a civil case, so you can have civil and criminal juries, 
Um, and basically either liability or guilt is deciding if the person did it or if the person was at fault. Um, and then you can have a jury on whether or not the punish what the punishment should be in civil cases that would be damages what what the people are going to pay to make it right um or even i think you can have a jury and i haven't done one um on competency so if the person is actually even competent to be found guilty and so in this case there's already been a jury that decided guilt i believe and now they're picking a different jury to decide based on um is it is it the death penalty? I believe it is the death penalty. Yes, because this happened when this is Florida. he was well, and he was nineteen when it happened. Okay, um, which, in case you don't know, you no one under eighteen can get the death penalty. It's a um, it's impermissible under uh, the Constitution. Yes, um, I'm looking at our article here and. Um, they're going to decide basically whether he will get life in prison or the death penalty for um, the awful, awful things that he did. And so now they're picking a, a jury for that. And so when you pick a jury, there's this process called voir dire and um, a lot of questions are asked and basically you determine whether the people in the pool um, so it's a whole bunch of people and you got to get it down to your 12 jurors plus your alternates. And I think that in this part, they're asking questions. You know, a lot of times, one of the questions that they probably asked here is they want to know, do people have any conflicts? So, you know, if you're picking a jury, I've had people who, you know, we're, we're picking a jury for a trial that's going to go more than one day and people will come in and they have, you know, oh, I have like, I leave for a business trip tomorrow. And, you know, they might be able to prove it like you obviously need to prove it but like they'll pull up their tickets on their phone and be like here are my plane tickets you know or whatever or I'm scheduled it for like this doctor's appointment that you know I couldn't get for a while because whatever so like they show you know so they want to know if anyone has any conflicts and you know obviously things like a business trip those are those are real you know conflicts or a doctor's appointment that's you know or a surgery or something like that so there are real conflicts and then um, this woman, she, she had a couple conflicts to, to her credit. She did not just have, she had her birthday. Um, and she also had her two sons birthdays. So she did bring up, you know, obviously very, you know, clear dates. And then, um, and then, but she also had a, a daily commitment that she, um, couldn't give up. And this is like, you know, a lot of, I'm in like a mom Facebook group and a lot of moms like wonder how to handle it. If like they're breastfeeding, like, you know, can they serve on the jury because, you know, they've got to deal with that. And so I've seen lots of like discussion about that, how you can, you know, that's again, a real thing that might impact your ability to sit on a jury, um, a real daily commitment. And, you know, a lot of times you can maybe not serve them, but you can serve a few months down the line when you're no longer breastfeeding and you know you have more of an ability so um would you like to tell people about her daily commitment yeah it was pretty good i mean i, I and it, it's very serious frankly um <laughs> she said that in addition to taking care of her children and husband she had to see her sugar daddy daily um and she had to support him emotionally as well emotionally um, look I wonder I don't, I mean, people get their emotions out in different ways, Liz. Okay. Um, fair point, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, he, she probably is supporting him emotionally and other ways. 
she was honest to her credit she she was honest um she was honest and this was also being live streamed which is how everyone knows about it um I don't know if they excused her did they excuse her do you know I think this happened um this just happened um yesterday I believe so I don't know that they've gotten that far at least when I looked at it yesterday they hadn't and then this article that I'm seeing is from today um from a few hours ago and they haven't said when I think it's important for everyone to kind of understand how jury selection works and each do- judge does it differently. And even in within a courthouse, a, a judge can do it differently, but typically how jury selection works is they, you stroll in with your number. You've been assigned a number by the jury office. Um, the lawyers are given background sheets of each um, juror. We don't have your name. We don't know who you are. It'll say juror number one is um a lawyer, she's 33 years old. Um, and that's about it, right? Um, it says, it'll say their occupation and I think their spouse's occupation. So basically I used myself as an example there, but it won't say your name. It won't say your address. It won't say anything like that. Um, and basically there's a preset list of questions that the lawyers and the judge have worked out and you go down that list and as people answer, you make notes about what they've said, if you have any concerns, and then nobody's excused till you get to the end of these questions. Once you, well, that's not true. Sometimes if it's really clear, you yeah. get excused. So each lawyer has an amount of jurors that they can strike and you don't have to provide an explanation. You can just strike them and say, nope, I don't want this person on the jury and you do that based on your observations but sometimes so like let's use an example of um okay like let's just like the example that I gave where like you know or let's say someone has a health condition like they show up and they're like you know maybe elderly and they're like look I have a health condition I can't sit for long periods of time you know and especially maybe they bring in a doctor's note and you ask for them to be excused um, for cause. And basically the judge is saying, I have a good reason to excuse this person. Um, Both attorneys, you know, they can agree or or disagree, whatever, but um, the judge will say, okay, no one's using their strikes. I'm excusing this person because I feel that they need to. And so for example, if someone has a health condition that they can't sit for, you know, multiple hours without being in extreme pain, you probably don't want that person on the jury because they're not paying attention. And by the time you're getting to a jury trial, you've prepared the other side. you need someone to pay attention. Um, and also no one wants to make an, another human just sit there in pain. Right. So, and I think, so I think it's important to note though, that usually when a court strikes someone for cause, that's like a big, um, a, like a big reason. It's not like a, we're going to debate about this person reason. It's a clear cut thing. Um, otherwise you just keep your notes, you get to the end and it turns into basically a, um, everybody lines up and you go down the list numerically and you use your for cause strikes. And the first, usually it's 12, but uh, it doesn't have to be. Some juries go with six. Um, The first 12 people are your people and there you have it. And so it does turn into also, kind of a guessing game right I would never 
go into a jury trial without kind of my ideal juror in mind of who I want on that jury. And you were using your context clues of what was given to you on the sheet, not very much, and what that person has said and their demeanor in the courtroom and what they're doing, how they're responding, if they're paying attention, um, to decide, do I want this person or not? And if I don't, who do I, you know, do I strike this person? Do I strike someone else to get to a person I do want on the jury? Right. It's a big guessing game. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit fun. Um, but it's also, it goes so fast that you don't really have time to enjoy the fun because it's high stress because you're writing things down as they like, by the end of it, my jury notes are, are covered in shorthand and are a mess. And, you know, no one could probably decipher it except for me. <laughs> So Liz, what are some of the questions that are really typical that come up in jury selection, right? Like, so um, obviously each case will ask specific questions to a case. Like, do you have strong feelings on, um, you know, plane crashes, like to weed out anyone who might be already biased to the specific facts on, on that case? Um, but like, what are some really typical ones that you see? So the, and so they'll go over everyone in the case, um, you know, to be sure that no one knows the people who are going to be witnesses, as well as do they know you or the opposing counsel? So there was one time I was picking a jury and a prosecutor um, for that county um, was on the jury. And so clearly, or in the jury pool. So of course they're asking, you know, do you know the prosecutor? That's his colleague, obviously he did. They want to know if he knew me. He did because we um, had just had a case together. So they wanted to know who knows about the case. And he said, you know, I, um, but he's like, I work in the office where this case is. So I, he's like, I probably can't say if I know anything about this case or not, but it's very likely I've heard about it just through office, whatever, chit chat. So yeah, I mean, he was definitely excused. So they want to know all of that. Um, but for example, if it's, you know, like a drug case, they'll want to know if you have been, you know, con convicted of, of a drug crime. Well, or if you have experience with like, if anyone in your house, you know, is involved, has been convicted of a, a crime. They, in general, they want to know if, because if you've been convicted of certain crimes, you can't serve. But if anyone in your family, and I always put on my request for jury instructions, because a lot of times they'll say, you know, anyone in your immediate family, um, has done, they also want to know if anyone's involved in law enforcement um, and your thoughts about that. And I always put yourself, family member, or close personal friend, you know, because you could be much closer to your best friend than you are to, you know, some of your family members. So they want to know, you know, for example, if your, you know, spouse is a police officer, they want to know that because then they want to know, would you give more credibility to a member of law enforcement, because the idea is you want to be neutral. You want to listen to all the witnesses and you assess their credibility from what you observe that day in the trial. They don't want anyone going into it saying, you know, yes, I'll give this person more credibility because they're law enforcement or the opposite. No, I will not because, you know, I don't believe they're credible. You know, people come in with all those biases and they want to be sure that people don't have those types of biases. So they want to be sure that you're looking at everything from a clean slate um, that you're going just by because you are supposed to assess credibility but you're supposed to assess it by what you see at trial um so that's that's a pretty common one um they want to know if there's any reason in general why you can't sit on the jury 
um, and they always ask one of the, the typical questions is, do you, are you a member of the faith that uh, is against standing in judgment of another person? Um, that's another one. I don't know that I've that I always asked that one. I don't know that I've ever had that be an issue um, in any of my cases. Um, I'm trying to think, what are some other um, typical ones? Um, you know, they want to know, um, uh, what else can you think of off the top of your head? Um, so I think you hit the majority of it, to be honest. I think you hit a lot of the really standard ones. I will say, and this is just me, um, aside from even asking questions, I look at demeanor, right, in the courtroom. Um, is the person trying to sneak and read their book that they've brought because they know they're going to be there for hours rather than listening to the questions? What logos do people have on their t-shirts, right? What, um, what insignia, things like that. Like, obviously, um, no offense to anyone. If you've got an insane clown posse t-shirt on, a prosecutor might have second thoughts about putting you on the jury. Um, if that prosecutor knows what that is. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, even as a defense attorney, I'd probably have questions um but like you know what I, I just mean? have questions I just have questions in general it uh a, a, a very good friend of mine um has has a juggalo tattoo what why yes. um well I I don't think that's part of his life anymore but you know people are young and dumb in different times and yeah. there's there's yeah, um, I didn't recognize it until it was brought to my attention. And then I was like, oh, oh, that's a thing. That's I'm, a thing that you have. I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure if I would recognize if someone walked in with an insane clown posse shirt, to be honest. Um, but I mean, like, those are the kind of things you look for, right? Like if someone walks in with, um, you know, like, something random um you, you I would it gets your attention yeah there's there are people who yeah people who just aren't paying attention mm -hmm. um strong beliefs any particular way are very yeah. scary that's something that's already ingrained that you can't control and as the attorney you want to control the narrative and you want to control what is being said and um how it's being received and if someone has is starting from a certain place first off you're never going to get enough information on that and second of all that you then are already at some kind of position that you don't fully understand I just I want someone who's going to come in clean slate pay attention um process everything that they're seeing and hearing have you ever seen someone very obviously try and get out of jury duty and get caught? Um, I, I mean, the thing is I have, I have seen people proclaim racism. Um, and I do not know if it was very obviously to get out or if that was their sincerely held belief. Um, but because that is a question that they ask is, you know, would you judge people based off of, you know, their race or ethnicity? And I have had jury selection where I've had people say yes. Wow. I mean, yeah. so here's 
my thought on that, right? We know that racism exists in this country. It is another thing to be unafraid to say it in the courtroom. And like, the, that you are a racist. Yes. And it was said not in the way that this jury selection I'm remembering particularly was that the answers to the questions were given. I believe when I was picking this jury, um, everyone stood up and they said, okay, if you have an answer. So like, they'll ask the question, they'll say, you know, um, they ask a question like, can you be unbiased in judging by like race or, race or ethnicity? And everyone would raise their hand and they'd say, okay, like jurors, like, you know, one, five, 17, all have something to say. And then they were brought into a separate room where they had the chance to speak to the judge and the two attorneys were there. And in that room, a few people said yes. And, and I think, I think that that's kind of important for that point to be made that when you answer one of these questions, people don't hear your answers. It said privately to the lawyers and the judges, but they see that you have something to say. You either have to stand up or you have to put your hands up. So you're like loudly proclaiming, you've just asked if I can, you know, if I'm going to severely judge another race just because they are that race. And somebody felt it was okay to stick their hand up in that courtroom in front of and 70 other people. That judge made those people wait till the end. So some people in that court case who had a real reason why they couldn't serve and everyone agreed, okay, this person has a real reason why they can't serve. They were excused right away. They said, okay, thank you. You know, go back down to the jury office. You're, you're excused. Uh, do what you need to do to finish up here. The people who said that, they said, okay, thank you. You know, go back to your seat. And they had to sit till the bitter end. I saw one way a judge handled this once where, um, and I, I think he's off the bench now. I think he retired, but this is how he routinely handled it. If he thought you were just trying to get out of jury duty and, you know, the problem is once you've said these things, it becomes a question of a fair trial, right? He was like, I can't put you on the jury. That would be improper because I think you're just trying to get out, but I can't prove that. So instead I'm gonna have you sit in the gallery and watch the entire trial. And you're gonna sit here and watch it. As How did they force that? <laughs> I don't know, but they did it. I sat there and watched a guy watch a jury trial once. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I guess they so he basically had to serve anyway <laughs> yeah so he was like we're not going to affect this person's I don't remember if it was a guy or a woman we're not going to affect their right to a fair trial we're not even going to put that in jeopardy however I am going to punish you I mean I mean that's creative it's like it reminds me of that episode of do you ever watch 30 rock I and, haven't seen it okay it's so good um and uh, Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon, um, she had, I forget like what state she was from, but I think somewhere in the Midwest, she would always get out of juries by like dressing in a Princess Leia outfit and saying outlandish things. And then she tries that in New York and they're like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Cause I guess they don't give a shit. <laughs> they were just like, that doesn't fly here. <laughs> I mean, uh, I told you my one jury duty experience. <laughs> um, I had worked the night before and it said show up at 7 a.m. And it said, wear court attire. And keep in mind, like, I do defense work in the county I was called in, right? Like, they're not going to put me on a jury. Um, I mean, they might, but they'd be really dumb. Um, 
so basically I, um, it said, you have to dress for court. And I was like, it specifically said no jeans. And I was like, it didn't say no sweatpants. Yeah. So I wasn't confident enough to wear the sweatpants that I wanted to wear. And I almost did, but I did wear jeans and, um, but no one said anything, right? Nobody said anything, but I, I never made it to the courtroom. So I sat there for a couple hours and then they said, okay, we, uh, we're pooling for a criminal trial. Um, if we call your name, come up and they, called my name they looked at me and they're like you're going to be juror number one and then you'll go in and voir dire because you'll get assigned a number so that the attorneys and the parties don't know who you are when you're answering these questions yeah we don't know anyone's names it's just you're known by your juror number you're gonna be juror number one and I was like great because if you don't know this in most courthouses in Maryland I can't speak for all of them I haven't been there they seat you in the order your numbers are so if you're juror number one and you get seated you're the foreman and I was like oh goody um and then as we all got lined up and we we're about to walk out the door they yelled the case settled and you can go home I was like yay Thank and God. did you get paid like your 15 bucks for the day or whatever I think that, where I live I, it was 15 bucks I don't think I got paid I think I got cash I don't think I got paid how rude that's uncool. Um, and like, that's the thing, right? I knew I was not going to be seated on that jury because I was going to have to answer like five of the standard questions in the affirmative. Um, you know, I might know the people might know the facts, you know, do I have biases about the criminal justice process? Absolutely. I do. Oh, and I remember one question that's usually pretty standard to ask. If you're an attorney, they usually ask you, can you put aside what you think the law is and just listen to what we're telling you the law is? Absolutely not, right? No, like, because <laughs> my whole career is knowing what the law is and what I think the law is. Well, and I will say, I have filed a criminal appeal from one of the judges in that courthouse and I won and the judge got reversed. So I know that sometimes I'm right and they're wrong don't tell that to the judges. I probably shouldn't be saying that on a podcast. I can but edit that out too. I, I mean, I think we can probably keep it. I mean, people get reversed on appeal. It yeah, happens. they do. It happens. And you know, that's the other thing is, I mean, a, a good judge will know, Hey, sometimes I get it wrong because if they got it perfect, why would there be higher courts? You know? Yeah. And I also bet that maybe judges also, you know, feel like, I bet they think when they're making a decision and they're unsure, they're like, well, there's a safety net. If I get it wrong, the appellate courts got me. I don't know. You think they think that? Um, I think, I think some judges take it personal, right? I do. Uh, I also happen to know that I made a huge mistake with that appeal and I used it as my rating sample for all of my job applications. And I sent it, I took out the name of the judge and I took out the jurisdiction, but I sent it to some of the judges in that courthouse, my appellate brief. And one of them was able to figure out who it was. Well, he couldn't figure out, he didn't figure out who it was. He figured out that it was about that county. And uh, he confronted me about it in my job interview and was why is like- that, Why is that bad? It's your writing sample. You wrote it. No, he was like, I need to know who this was because we need to 
correct the issue you are describing oh and I was like uh I can't tell you right I thought it was I I was like I'm not bad nothing a judge to another judge yeah but it was publicly filed right I mean it was it was yeah and um he got very serious and he was like this isn't a test you need to tell me who this was (laughs) oh he thought like he's like this isn't a test he was like this isn't like he's like I admire what you're trying to do here but uh I'm gonna need the name I was like well there's only like 10 of you you could probably figure it out yeah (laughs) oh my I know right it did I was like oh my god I'm in so much trouble Uh, they do teach you that in law school. Don't badmouth another judge to another judge in your job interview. That's a that's a pretty standard law school tip. If you didn't learn it, you did now. <laughs> so I do have a question though, right? Um, one of the things I I kind of want to ask you is if somebody as ridiculous, taking it back to the sugar daddy thing is, as ridiculous as that excuse is, if someone said that, would you strike them? Would you want this woman on your jury in a death penalty? And we don't have the death penalty in Maryland. It's been out. It's been um, uh, on for a while. Yeah, I think like 10 years close to about. But if you had it and it was this level of seriousness, what would your reaction be as the attorney? Well, so I guess my question is, and by the way, the judge was remained very composed through all this. Um you know, she could have bust out laughing. Um, if I were her, I would have struggled to not. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's such a serious case and I want someone to take it seriously. Um, I mean, this woman, you know, I don't, and here's the thing is also how serious was, was this woman? And I mean, genuinely, did she, does she genuinely believe that she has a, a commitment that, to her sugar daddy that she is, you know, but okay. And I know I'm, I am go going way too much into this, but say this is how her, this woman pays her bills. Say if she doesn't spend daily time with sugar daddy, her kids don't eat. Maybe that is a real commitment, you know? And I don't, I don't want someone on my jury. Who's not going to be paying attention. Who's thinking that maybe she's not, you know, helping him with his emotions and then she's not, she's not getting, you know, food on her table because that's who's supporting her. Like, yeah, I guess that's so it's hard. Right. Cause I think, right. It, like, I also, you know. I also think there's a judgment aspect to it. Um, you know, she is married, she has three children and she's a sugar daddy and what goes on in consenting relationships is none of my business. Right. Um, you know, different people have different rules for what their relationship will look like. And that's fine. And that's not my place to judge. However, I heard the word sugar daddy. And um, I think the word exchange of good and ser- goods and services for money, um, which no judgment on that. However, I do believe that's not legal in most states in the United States, Florida being one of them. Um, I'm not a Florida attorney. I'm not barred in Florida. I could be wrong, but you've now walked into a courtroom in front of a judge and a prosecutor and implied, I think from the average individual definition of sugar daddy, 
that this might be going on. And if you didn't think that through, and you didn't think, hey, maybe this is not the best thing to say, I could be in trouble. Do I really want you using that judgment that didn't think this through on my client who's facing the death penalty? See, you approach this from a whole different angle than I, <laughs> which yours is, is makes, yeah, is probably a lot better. I'm just like, this woman has prior commitments and doesn't want to be here. And whether they're legit or not, like she's not taking this seriously because of her prior commitments that I just were like, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's your commitment. That's your life. You know? <laughs> well, but here's the other thing of all the things you could say to get you excused. I'm a conscientious objector to the death penalty. I'm very religious. I don't believe in the death penalty. Um, you know, not, we're not coaching you on how to get out of a death penalty trial here, but like of all the legitimate, completely, this is not going to get me in any trouble down the road ways to say, I cannot serve. You came up with, I need to see my sugar daddy. She came up with it. I think that's legit. I think she was like, I'm going to go in there and tell the truth. Maybe she has respect for the justice system and she wanted to go in there and be full candor to the court. Which you absolutely should do. Never lie in court. Um, We will get disbarred if we lie in court. However, really? Really? I mean, come on. (laughs) I think that's pretty much the takeaway from this. Just come on. Come on. I mean, so... You know. But that's the thing is I don't think she's going to end up on that jury. Oh, I would be shocked if she yeah. ended up on that jury. <laughs> I would be shocked. Um, you know, but I guess I think- did have someone once in jury selection who was falling asleep and snoring like one of the prospective jurors. Oh, that's not good. No, it was not good. Um, that person did not serve on the jury. I don't remember if they were struck because um, one of the attorneys struck them or if the judge struck them, but there was definitely like, uh, they were falling asleep. And it's like, this is not, you can't, oh, it wasn't good. This they wasn't a county where the bailiffs run around and wake them up or take their electronics and are like, you need to pay attention because I've seen that happen. No, uh, no. Oh, have you ever seen a bailiff fall asleep? Who hasn't seen a bailiff fall asleep? <laughs> okay. Yes. So here's where you get real scared. It's when the sheriffs fall asleep. I've never seen that happen. I'm waiting for it to happen. The bailiffs I'm kind of okay with, right? <laughs> They're usually older gentlemen who have retired from law enforcement. The sheriff falls asleep. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be amused. (laughs) Uh, So basically everyone's falling asleep in court, except, except us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've never fallen asleep in court. I've thought about it. You know what? It sometimes it drags on. Well, waiting in court, the thing about when you're waiting in court is that we can't have like our phones or our laptops out right so what do you do what what can you do you know I mean I just bought a lot of sudoku 
It was. I do that too. I don't do it in court, but I I do it while I wait for initial appearance hearings, and uh, I can't find Sudoku books in CVSs and Seven Elevens and stuff anymore. And I found like ten of these really cheap ones. Well, the really cheap kind that should have been cheap. So I grabbed like all ten of the ones they had. Well, uh, they were not two dollars like I thought they were. Let's just say. Oh, the dollar store has them. (laughs) But I was in. I can't finish those. (laughs) They're too hard. Well, what I like to do is I found one the other day and it was perfect. I was at Ollie's and which just is home to so many strange things. And they had a Sudoku book, but it was spiral bound, which is great because I can keep it in my car and pull out like two or three at a time and bring them in with me. Um, And then I don't have to have the whole book. So that was a good find. I think it was like two or three dollars. Um, I I do them while I'm waiting in court. I mean, if the judge isn't on the bench and I'm sitting there in court, I what am I gonna do? You know, like especially if it's like something. I mean, honestly, you know, people are like, you can look over your notes for court that day. Well, I would say, you know, most of the time you're not there for a trial. You're there for a postponement or a plea deal or whatever. I don't have mm-hmm. notes for that. I mean, yeah, sure, but it's not like I need to look over my notes to do a plea deal. I've done a million plea deals, you know. Um, and, and you just uh, use the cheat sheet. <laughs> which which counties have the cheat sheet? Um, I, I know that Anne Arundel has a cheat sheet. Um, Anne Arundel definitely does. Um, the cheat sheet is um, where there are certain questions you have to inquire of your client. And there, some courthouses will have the cheat sheet in front of you. Um, we used to have it printed on our folders, our criminal defense folders. Oh, so on every case, yeah. This is in case you just want to do a spur of the moment plea deal. Well, it was just so you always had it with you. <laughs> it was on every folder. Nowadays, though, like you can pull all, like you can pull all your files from your phone, or um, yeah. Like, with everything going to e-filing, it's much easier to be like, hey, it's on my laptop. I need to keep my laptop out. Yeah, but it was printed on our files. Now, now I just wing it. I do it from memory. And I would say most of the time I get it all. If I miss one, the judge just asks it, you know, but, um, but yeah, but so you don't need notes for that. And honestly, if I have a jury trial, I'm ready. I'm not, you know, I don't need to look over. I mean, yeah, sure. I'll look over things. And if you're just sitting there, it's not like you're sitting there for a long time. Yeah, I do a Sudoku. If the judge is on the bench, of course, you can't be disrespectful. But if I'm in the back and no one can see me, eh, sometimes I'll do it. So that's probably actually a good idea for a future episode is plea deals, different types of plea deals, what goes into a yeah. plea deal. Um how to get your client a stellar plea deal, which I actually think is probably more of a TV thing than a reality yeah. thing. Oh, I do have one more Sudoku tidbit though. Okay. Um, I was in, I don't do a lot of federal court work, but I am federally barred and I was in federal court and I was sitting next to um, an interpreter um, who was there and we were waiting, we were waiting for the judge to take the bench and I'm just sitting there doing a Sudoku, you know, and federal court is like, like I, you know, of course you're going to sit there and meet respectful when the judge is on the bench, but it, I was there pretty early. and. And I had the book with me and she's like, oh, um, she's like, oh, I wish I thought to bring one of those. Like, you know, here I am just sitting here. And I was like, oh, I have the book. And I ripped out a page and gave it to her. And I was like, here you go. She's like, oh, thank you. And I said, yeah. And I think I probably talked about this on my other podcast. If any, we have any repeat listeners. Thanks. Um, we better have repeat. Listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I we, said, we know you guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I said, oh, if you finish it before the judge comes out, it's good luck. I made that up obviously but 
you know, I just said it. And now, now that's been my thing is when I'm in court, if I start a Sudoku and I'm like, Ooh, if I finish it before the judge comes out, it's lucky. Do you, um, do you rig the game so that if you don't think you have enough time, you don't start one? No, because lately <laughs> I've started doing the hard ones and I never finish those. You, you got to go with the easiest and you got to give yourself enough time. Well, because I know with the hard ones, like I will start it and I know, but then sometimes next time I go to court, I just start a new one. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that one's, that one's old news. It's, it's not a fresh start and that's no fun because I like, I like a fresh start. There's these guys on YouTube that solve Sudokus and I was watching them for a while. It's very boring. It's so calming though. Of all the things to watch on YouTube. I know. It's good to fall asleep too. I highly suggest. <laughs> but anyway, um, so circling back, yeah, I mean, um, what were we even talking about? But yeah, we were talking about jury strikes, right? And... Oh, and everyone falling asleep in court. Mm-hmm. You're not <laughs> um, getting on the jury if you fall asleep. Yeah, and none of this is to say that this is how you like you shouldn't you should get out of a jury because like you should obviously you know we should all do our civic duty and serve on a jury. I will never get picked for a jury. Um, What do you do if there's a lawyer on your jury? Strike. Always? Uh, It depends, but probably. I would- I would probably ask a cute, like a follow-up question, like what type of law they practice, where they practice it. Cause there's a lot of people who've gone to law school who don't actually practice law. However, I think anyone who's been to law school, I would seriously consider striking because I want you to listen to the jury instructions and I want you to form your own ideas regardless of what you think the law is. And the other thing is if they get really convincing and they get back there and they start talking to the other jurors, next thing you know, they've convinced the other jurors of something that's not true about the law. See, there was a time when I had a lawyer and I thought that my legal argument was just so strong. And I was like, who better to understand this than another lawyer? They're going to get, they're going to pick up what I'm putting down. Like they're going to get this legal argument. And I wanted them and the other side struck them. Yeah. Because both sides aren't going to want the lawyer. There's going to be one side who's like, in that case, I was like, I've got the strong legal argument and this person will understand. They're going to get it. And then I think the other side was probably like, we don't want, we don't want any of that. Well, and I, I think that there's usually out of, two people there's always going to be a me that's like absolutely not I don't care I don't care if they practice workman's comp and this is an auto accident no 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 um they're gonna they're gonna think back to torts in law school which was probably 25 years ago who knows who taught it um and they're going to leave this courtroom and despite the jury instructions we've given them are going to be sitting back there chanting duty breach causation harm to the jury. Mm. So no, thank you. Do you like jury selection? Do you think it's fun? Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, I don't do it very often. I I really, I will tell you, I have a jury trial for a civil case that I don't know who I'm picking. I don't know who my target juror is yet. Oh, I'll talk to you about this afterwards. (laughs) I'm intrigued. But yeah, um, I mean, the only thing that is really annoying about jury selection is I get geared up to do my trial and I'm ready and I'm ready. And I'm like, okay, we're going to trial. And I'm like, oh no, we have to take half a day to pick a jury. It takes half a day. At least. So you get geared up and then, nope, you got to do this whole thing first. And 
I will tell you the other thing is that um, jury selection, a lot of times you're standing in front of the judge's bench. If they're walking up and talking to the judge and you're standing the whole time, I do not wear heels to court because I'm not about that. I want to be standing there for a long time in heels. So no. See, and that's the other thing, right? I have a different view. I would, I wear flats most of the time. And if I was in front of a jury, I would wear heels. Oh, well, I don't even own any heels. I got rid of them all. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong (laughs) way. And I think, I think that's something that can be discussed because I think on a different episode, because lawyers have so many different versions of personal style and you and I have very different personal styles and how we dress, but I think I would slap on heels for a, for a jury. Yeah. And I would do makeup and spanks. I'm not going to lie. I would go all out. Oh yeah. I've gotten my nails done specifically because I'm like, Ooh, got a jury trial. Got to go get my nails done. Right. (laughs) I've seen lawyers. I've never seen where makeup show up in a full face of makeup the day they have a jury trial. And it's all, and I, and I think, you know, teasing future episodes, that's probably a good episode. What, what do you do for a jury? What do you think you would do? um, And how do you handle a jury? And we're like, times things have failed in front of juries or you crashed and burned when you thought you were managing a jury well yeah I saw I saw an epic crash and burn of a thought they were managing a jury well once is this for now or is this for a future episode it's for a future episode okay it resulted in a big old not guilty Ooh. Mm-hmm. well okay um anything else we want to cover on this episode um I guess eventually probably by the time this comes out, we'll have like a Twitter because I was going to say tweet at us your thoughts or ideas, but so we haven't done that yet. <laughs> Look, we just got logos and uh, we're a little and, behind. And no one looks like a murderer in our logo. That's true. It's great. Uh, Liz's new name is Dahmer because <laughs> the first logo we were provided looked like she was going to take an ax and kill me. <laughs> and the guy, who, the guy who designed it did not understand the problem (laughs) and we were both a truly inhuman shade of pink like and and I showed this um to my husband and I said what do you think of this and he's like looks good I was like no no it does not I offered to I offered to draft her divorce papers yeah because I was like this is what you think I look like Uh, Kate says it's grounds for divorce it's fine it is. It's in the statute. It's definitely written in the code right there with 12 months separation, mutual consent, excessive cruelty. It says Liz's husband likes this picture right <laughs> underneath that. Yeah. So certain if, of if, it. if you're listening, husband, uh, look out for that. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. I'm sure we'll get along once we finally meet. Yeah. He's going to hate me now. <laughs> um, so one of the things you know, when we talked about doing this podcast, we didn't want it to be a true crime pod, true crime podcast. Um, but we, of those. we did, you know, I think one of the things that we had kind of foreseen was it kind of being a space to commiserate, like the crazy things everyone has ever seen. Um, because that comes up so much among attorneys is I just never knew that this was a thing. Nothing prepared me for this. Um, So we wanted to kind of end on a segment we're calling 
thank God that's not my client. Or in the alternative, if we find someone real bad, thank God that's not my lawyer. Um, and I have the thank God that's not my client story for this week, which is real bad um, and fits right into this, this idea. So this story is from 2012. And it involves a very cute little fairy penguin named Dirk. Dirk lives at a aquarium in Australia. Is he still alive? I hope so. He was when this story was written in 2012. Oh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> How long do penguins live? I don't know. I should know. I used to work with captive wildlife for a long time before he became a lawyer. Um, I don't know. I can say that I will tell you right off the bat, this story ends well. It ends happily. Dirk was fine. 15 to 20 years. He might be alive. Oh, that's for an emperor penguin. Come on, Liz, get the right penguin. A little penguin is six years. Okay, so. It's not looking good for old Dirk. It's not looking good for Dirk. The point being, RIP Dirk. Um, two it was a group of three tourists, I believe, Welsh tourists. Uh, I'm only saying that because I'm not gonna say their names. You can Google it. It's on BBC. Um, broke in, they imbibed quite a bit. And then they broke into the aquarium where Dirk was living. And in the process, they then uh, swam with the dolphins. They set off a fire extinguisher in the shark enclosure. I don't know if they set it in the water. I don't know if it was just around the sides. I don't know. They got into the shark enclosure and they set off a fire extinguisher. And then they took Dirk and they left the aquarium with Dirk. What do you think is going through his little head? I think he was, um, I hope he was thinking I'm having an adventure. I, hope I suspect too. he was afraid, but I hope he was thinking I'm having a grand adventure. So these guys had an, epic hangover moment where they woke up in their apartment the next day and were like why is a penguin here there's a penguin in our apartment now at that point I think most people would have been like I have I have in this is a disaster and I have made a huge error at this point but these guys were done they took Dirk and they didn't drop him in the foundling penguin box at the police station. And I mean, even pretend that they had just found him wandering the street. Oh, no, no. They decided they would release Dirk into the wild. And that's- And this is Australia. Yeah. So no, no penguins there. I don't think so. They do have dogs and sharks and a dog chased Dirk right at, what they think was a shark in the water. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people intervened. They, they, they saved Dirk. Dirk got back to the aquarium. Obviously, um, there were some charges to be had to go around in this. Uh, actually, they got a very reasonable plea deal, I thought. They got no criminal charges. In addition to admitting everything they did wrong, they paid a $1,000 fine in Australian dollars, which in pounds, or nope, that's a euro sign, sorry. In euros, at least in 2012, was the equivalent of 637 uh, euros. You know what? 
I'm getting old. I'm not catching up with current events. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Changed the Euro how long ago? Um, (laughs) And they had to write a letter of apology to the aquarium. Now, this is why I'm really glad this person's not my client. Because had they just taken the penguin, swam with the dolphins and safely returned him, it would just be a funny story. And I think you could kind of play it off that way in court and get them off with a slap on the wrist. I think once you set off the fire extinguisher, there's risk of harm to the sharks. And then once you release the penguin and he almost gets eaten, it's not funny, right? Like this is a cute little fairy penguin. No one's going to think this is funny. And he was probably very scared. And to be fair, they did get a good plea deal, but the judge didn't think it was very funny either. Um, In fact, he told them they were lucky they weren't in the morgue. I think that related to the sharks. Um, and so those are the people that I'm glad are not my clients this week. I will say it's a warning. If you Google this story, you can see pictures of Dirk and some of the pictures, they're very blurry. I thought he had a wound on his wing. It's not a wound. It's a red tag. So he's tagged on his wing, but some of the blurry pictures that looks a little gross, you think it might be a wound. It's not. The Dirk is okay. He was in 2012. He was, but yeah i it it does it does kind of take a twist there um and yeah i i'm also i guess i don't know would i take a case like that yeah absolutely sure but like i you know you you can't think it you can't think it's funny because you gotta take it you gotta be serious um I did have a case like that, that I had at an initial appearance and I will check if it's closed, I will tell the story at a later date. Uh, it, it was very similar. Uh, I thought it was very funny and told my client that and gave my client a lot of grief. Um, obviously when I went in front of the commissioner, I was very serious, but um, behind closed doors, I, I gave my client hell. He was also hungover, so he wasn't in the mood. <laughs> hungover from when the crime was done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. He was, uh, I don't think he remembered much of it, to be honest. He wasn't throwing up, though, so that's a good start. But sometimes they are, apparently. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do the initial appearances. I haven't done those, but basically you're getting them fresh after being arrested. So, yep. Getting them as they are in whatever form that may take. Fun, fun times. Right. So that is our glad they're not my client of the week. So if anyone else um, wants to submit those stories, please submit them when we have a place to submit them. We do have a place to submit them. We do. Wait, we do. We have, an e- we have an email and it's um, stuff I didn't learn in law school at gmail.com. There's no apostrophes, nothing like that. It's just all the letters and you can submit them. You can submit your crazy stories of, I can't believe this happened to me because I think we're going to go into, this was more of a serious episode, but I think we're going to go into more of those in the future. Yeah, if any, um, you know, and I guess this is 
not just for lawyers, um, although lawyers, you may have some, you know, special stories to share, but, you know, if anyone has any, like, experience or articles that you want to share, send them along. And, and we'll, we'll see about either doing an episode around it or reading your story or yeah we'll just have a good laugh at you behind your back <laughs> <laughs> all our options you just never know <laughs> obviously if you are an attorney please don't tell us any like don't tell us anything that would violate any ethical duties you've got um because we don't want to get you in trouble yeah we we, uh, we make our career on getting people out of trouble not in it <laughs> sure that's what we do liz <laughs> but we do we try Try being the operative word. Try. <laughs> Valid point. We try. Some, we try. Sometimes sometimes things are impossible, but we try. Yes. So we're not when, here to make trouble. When you've ever sat down and read a statement of probable cause and been like, oh, Lord. Yeah. Many a time. Okay. So um, I guess we should, I don't think we have like a quirky little sign off yet. So we don't. Um, yeah. Stay out of trouble, guys. Yep, stay out of trouble. Bye. Bye.